If you like to take notes and you want to title the message, the title is With Us. It is the second part in our three-part study on the Holy Spirit called Third Person. And tonight's message will be the Holy Spirit with us. We'll be in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18. Dear Lord Jesus, we know that each time we open your word, there's potential for our lives to be changed. And Lord, we don't want to take that lightly. We want to remember that you are a holy and righteous God. And we pray this evening, Lord, that people would understand what it means that the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go, that you'll never leave us, leave us nor forsake us. We pray as we study this evening that we will walk away with truths that will be able to carry us throughout the week and actually the rest of our lives as well. So fill us now with your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Three hard questions for you. I'm going to ask you three hard questions. I want you to think about it. Not answer out loud. But let's imagine for a second that you're asked this first question. Let's say that you knew a person who was a professed homosexual, maybe a friend, maybe a neighbor, a family member. You knew someone who was gay, and they came up to you and asked you the direct question, do you approve of me? That's a loaded question, by the way, but let's say they, they asked you the question, do you approve of me? And no matter where you stand on that issue, that's a hard question, isn't it? How do you approach that question? How do you answer that question? Here's the second question. Let's say that you turn 21 one day. Will you choose to drink or will you choose to abstain from all alcohol? Hard question. Is it wrong? Is it right? Third question. Let's say that you found out that your closest friend's girlfriend or boyfriend, depending if you're a guy or girl, you found out that their girlfriend or boyfriend cheated on them and you found out before they did. What do you do? How do you handle that situation? In those situations, those scenarios, I think we can all agree, even if we're not sure how to answer those questions, I think all of us would agree that if we had the option to personally consult Jesus, I think we would take that, right? Like, as Christians, wouldn't you want it? like, if you had the option, hey, knock on Jesus' door, walk into his office, and be like, yo, Jesus, or I guess you wouldn't be that irreverent. You walk up to him and say, Sovereign Lord, King of the universe, I have a question. And you would ask him. And you know, because Jesus loves you and cares for you, that he would take the time to answer those hard, hard questions. Now, this was the, uh, this was the situation of the early disciples. When you're a disciple, it wasn't just like you saw each other once a week. Like, you get the question, why should I come to youth group? Like, imagine... Back in those days, to be a disciple means you actually, like, you lived with Jesus. Everywhere he went, you went. That's what it meant to be a disciplined learner of Jesus. And so they would walk around with him wherever he went, journey with him wherever he went. If he said, we're going to stay in this city, they would go to that city. If he said, you know what, we're going to eat at this restaurant, they would follow because they said, we want to literally be followers of Jesus. Now, that being the case, they were able to ask him a lot of hard questions. Peter would often ask, explain this parable to us. The disciples would ask, where can we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a multitude? Hard question. 
Or maybe, how about this? If you're one of the disciples, and there's a person who's demon-possessed, and you're like one of the 12, like you're a big shot, right? One of the 12 disciples of Jesus, there's a guy who's demon-possessed. You're like, all right, it's time to show what I'm made of. Try to cast it out, and you're not able to. Well, that's embarrassing. Are you, are you Judas? Are you, what's wrong with you? Why can't you cast out the, disciple, uh, the demon out, out, of, out of the person when you're a disciple? And so they asked Jesus, why could we not cast out this demon? There was a situation when they asked Jesus, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Hard questions, right? But here's the thing. Jesus, in John chapter 14, is preparing his disciples for his departure. When they could no longer ask him questions as casually as we wish that we could. And this is what he says in verse four, uh, 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus was leaving his disciples, and his disciples had a hard time believing this was going to happen. Why would you leave us? But he needed to so he could send the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm not going to leave you without somebody to talk to. I'm going to send you a different helper, another helper. Even though it's the same God, this person of the Trinity that many of us are not familiar with. And last week we learned about the Holy Spirit in us. What that means. And what it took for the Holy Spirit to be inside someone who's a sinner like me. Someone who's a sinner like you. What did it cost Jesus in order to make that possible? As there have been people like for centuries, since time has begun, they, they always wondered... Could it be possible that God could dwell with man again, like in the Garden of Eden? And Jesus made it possible. And God tore down that veil, that, the Holy of Holies, so that we could enter in boldly. And we don't have to worry about being consumed. And so we learn what it means for the Holy Spirit to be in us, that we are saved, sanctified, and we're sealed. And today we're learning about what it means for the Holy Spirit to be with us. What does it mean for the Holy Spirit to be with us? Well, you see, Jesus is saying that he would abide with you. He would live with you and live with you forever. It's a spirit of truth whom the world can't receive. Realize the world can't receive the Holy Spirit because they're still in their sin. They haven't trusted in the atoning work of Jesus. And because of that, we instead who have received him can actually know him. He can dwell with us and be in us. I don't know if you guys have New Year's resolutions, but every single year, I'm a list guy. Like any list guy people, any people that are just, you love lists, to-do lists, New Year's resolutions. Every year I have New Year's resolutions, but here's the problem. Every year I fail. It's like, why do you even bother if you know you're not going to do the things that you said you were going to do? I remember so many resolutions that I was just like, you know what, I'm going to pray for one hour a day. I'm going to do it. And it just start off, I could do it for a couple months. And then after a while, it's just kind of like, oh my goodness, I think, I think I'm actually not liking praying anymore. This is bad. So I got to figure out what I'm doing wrong. There's so many resolutions that we set out to do. 
And when we fail at keeping those resolutions, it's almost so discouraging that you almost don't want to try anymore, right? You've set out to do certain things, and now, here's the thing. You come to youth group, and it's like, one more thing to add to the list. I need to go to youth group, and I need to go to church on Sunday, and I need to make sure that I'm reading my Bible every day, and I need to make sure I'm praying, because I can't just read without praying, and I have to evangelize, and there's people at school I have to confront, I have to forgive people, I have to start loving that person, I have to start obeying my parents, clean my room, make my bed. You have all these lists. Like, how in the world are people supposed to function in this life when you have so many things you're supposed to do? And you have to be a good student. And you have to do well at school. Not just be a good student, but, like, be well-behaved, get A's on your test. And you have to take a driver's test. And you have to get a job. And you have to get married. And you have to have kids. And you have to raise the kids well. It's not like you can just get married, have kids, and be like, well, I'll see you in about 20 years when you're responsible. You can't do that. I wish we could do that. We can't. How in the world do you function like that? And here's the thing. Most people, this is how they function. I can't wait for the weekend. I can't wait to go on vacation. Can't wait till school is over. Can't wait to be away from my parents. Everyone's waiting for the break. Everyone's waiting for the time that you just have off. And you could just be like you sleep in forever. Sleep till 1 o'clock in the, in the morning from like 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. in the morning, you're just like completely zoned out. Watch TV, watch Netflix, watch Stranger Things, whatever you can do to distract yourself. This is how we function. Is that how we're meant to function? No. Actually, here's the cool thing. The fact that you have the Holy Spirit with you means that you don't need to have your list anymore. Now you just simply are guided by the Holy Spirit who tells you what to do? Huh. Imagine you had like a personal assistant that told you, now I want you to do this. Now you do this. Now you do this. And you don't have to think about like the 50 things you have to do. It's just, what am I supposed to do right now? And the Holy Spirit, it says in John chapter 16, it says in verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. Now think about that. If you have someone who's guiding you, it's almost like a GPS. I don't know how any of you would function. And I'm, it's not like I don't trust you guys, but I don't know how you'd function without a GPS. I know a lot of people who can't. They can't drive anywhere unless their GPS is on their phone. And it's like you take it away from them and you're like, I have no idea how to drive home. And you live one mile away. Like, it's so far. It's like, do I even live here? I don't know. The GPS won't tell me. Your parents are inside waving to you. It's like, I don't know who those people are. <laughs> the nice thing about GPS is it just says, turn here, turn there. And you don't have to worry about it. Back in the day, like I'm 28 years old. I'm older now. You guys know, like back in, back in 10 years ago, we would take road trips and I'd have MapQuest out. Do you even know what that is? You just have pages and pages. Maybe like when you're five years old, your parents are like, all right. Read me the directions. You're my navigator. And you just kind of read off the directions to them. And then you get to like turn at that street. And you're like, where's that street? And you can't find it. And now you're just driving around for hours in the wrong direction in West Virginia. And there's a cow there. And he's blocking the sign. And you're just going crazy. And thank God for GPS. Well, the Holy Spirit in some way 
is kind of like the GPS who guides you into all truth. He'll never let you down. And you don't need good service to get him to give you good directions. The thing about the Holy Spirit is he's always meant to guide us and not just guide our minds, but when we have the Holy Spirit with us, it means we'll have a helper to guide our hearts, minds, and will. Because here's the other thing I found out, and maybe you know this is true too. My heart, mind, and will is so ADD. It is so prone to wander. My heart is like, yes, God, I, I believe, I'm going to evangelize. I'm going to do it this week. I'm so in it. Uh, yeah. And next week I'm like, I don't want to go to youth group. That's it. I don't want to pray anymore. Oh, do I even believe in God? You know, like I don't have those worries anymore. But I remember. I remember what it's like to be a teenager and kind of just every other day you're just like, I don't know about anything anymore. Or you like a guy. It's like, oh, he's the best. Totally want to marry him one day. And next week you're just like, I don't know how I ever liked him. Oh, my goodness. Like, think about this. Here's a, here's a good test. Think about the first person you've ever liked in your life. Now imagine marrying that person. Most of you would freak out. Why? Because our hearts are so fickle. Our minds are fickle and our wills are fickle as well. We make all kinds of decisions that are based on things that we wish we didn't rather than the Holy Spirit. Well, this word helper in the Bible in the Greek, it's the word paraclete. And this word means comforter, helper, advocate. It's actually a legal term for an attorney. So a lot of people like try to translate this word and they're not really sure what to do with it. Helper, but it's not like he's just there to help you. It's kind of, he's, a, he's kind of about himself. And it's not just helping you and, and kind of like, oh, I'll help you with whatever you need. Just call me when you're ready. And it's not just a comforter. I read one commentary. It's like, when we think of comforter, we think of like a quilt or a blanket. That's a bad word for the Holy Spirit, the holy comforter. It's just, I mean, I love comforters, but I don't know if that's an adequate word. But legal attorney seems to be the closest. It's the verbal adjective of to call alongside. And here's the thing. When you have a good attorney, that attorney will either defend you or point out the things that you've done wrong. It's... It's representing you before the judge. And it also represents you before other people. And so as you have this attorney inside of your heart, he directs you and guides you. Like if I went to court and I started talking to the judge directly, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Because these lawyers speak in a language that's not even English. And when you guys get to vote, you'll see the ballot questions that are never in English. Never. I just don't know what this giant paragraph of, do you want to, and you just look at it and like, what does this mean? And it's like, oh, they want to know if we can tax you more when you park. Like, well, why don't they just say that? They do that on purpose. They do it on purpose. Anyway, lawyer. He's a lawyer. He's there to defend you against the attacks of the enemy. So whenever you're talking like you're living your life, and here the devil goes throwing his darts at your heart and says, you're a loser. You're pathetic. You just sinned last week, and you're going to teach in front of other people, and you're going to encourage that person. I know who you really are, but you have the Holy Spirit who's your attorney, so you don't have to say anything. He reminds you of who you really are, the name that Jesus gives you, the name by which you're called, who he's made you to be, and that Holy Spirit living inside your heart is able to, to defend you from the attacks of the devil. Flip over a page to chapter 16. I want to read verses 5 through 15. Because this is really where Jesus is kind of saying, like, this is it. I'm leaving. I'm going to the cross. But don't worry. He says this in verse 5. 
But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father are mine has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take care of mine and declare it to you. So he says this whole, whole bunch of things to the disciples, and you can understand why they're kind of confused. What in the world are you talking about? Another helper. Remember last week we talked about in Acts chapter 19, the dude's like talking to a bunch of disciples of John. He's like, you guys received the Holy Spirit like when you believed? And we don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. We haven't even heard of something like that before or someone like that before. And here Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, describing what his role is and how he would guide them into all truth. But he says three things. He's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now that sounds really confusing. What in the world does that mean? What he's saying is, as the Holy Spirit comes into the world, because he's God, remember, God and sin don't mix. It's like oil and water. And so immediately there's a contrast. And you're left with the decision, will I follow the Lord or will I follow however my heart dictates? And so convicting the world of sin is the sin of unbelief. This, convicting the world of righteousness is a false righteousness. And convicting the world of judgment means a false judgment. In other words, as the Holy Spirit has come into the world, what he does is convicts people of the sin that they're not believing in the one true God, worshiping other gods. Convicts the world of their righteousness because they believe that they're good. I'm a basically good person. I don't really, you know, whatever. I'll get to heaven and I'll explain myself before the Lord and he'll understand. But when you see how righteous God is, you see that your righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. And convicts the world of judgment. In other words, as Satan has blinded our eyes so that we can't make good judgments or bad judgments, the Holy Spirit shows us what are good decisions and bad decisions. So the Holy Spirit has come into the world to separate the church from the world. You know, actually in church history, there's a bunch of things called like the Apostles' Creed, and we sing a song called the Creed by Hillsong. You guys know that song, I Believe in God the Father, you know, all that. You know why that was kind of made? The reason why that was developed is because there was heresy. There was a guy who was walking around pretending like he was possessed by the Holy Spirit and says, I give you new revelation that Jesus really isn't God. And, and he was saying like he would walk around in a trance almost. And because of this, people said like, well, that's not what we believe. And, and they had to come to a conclusion, what is it that we actually believe? The reason why a lot of the books got formed so quickly in the church, in the Bible, is because of these heresies that were going around saying that Jesus isn't really God. And there's this other teaching that Jesus taught his disciples that we don't really know about. But if you follow me, you'll find out what those teachings are. And so here's the thing. 
whenever there's false teaching and whenever there's bad doctrine, that causes us to make the decision as to whether we will follow them or follow the Lord. There needs to be division in order to separate the light and the dark. I had a philosophy professor who challenged me in college because I remember like going into uh, Monmouth University and he started teaching all these different things and he was kind of bashing the Catholic Church, bashing, bashing Christians a little bit. And as he's talking about all these things and saying, I remember that it came to the conclusion where he was kind of trying to say that belief in God is meaningless. So if you say, I believe in God, that's in, unintelligible. Kind of saying like, what does orange smell like? Well, orange smells like, and that's an unintelligible, meaningless sentence. It doesn't even make any sense. So if you want to believe in God, it's kind of like you're just, you know, you're not really saying anything that makes sense in the first place. That's what he tried to say. And I remember hearing that, and it caused me to figure out, like, how do you even answer a person like that, right? And many of us, having come to a conclusion as to what we believe, because we haven't spoken to people that believe something different. And so whenever you have a lie, you have to ask yourself, what is the truth? And the Holy Spirit does the work of conviction to show us what is wrong and what is right. And this is why just as the Holy Spirit convicts the world of their false righteousness, he needs to convict the church of the sins that we hold on to. All that to say that as the Holy Spirit has invaded our hearts, not invaded, but he has come down because we've invited him in, now we have to ask ourselves, are we going to listen when he convicts us of sin? Let me ask you a, qu a question. Um, do you know anyone who always critiques everything about you? Someone who just nitpicks your every move. You can't do anything right in front of them. And no matter how hard you try, it's never good enough. Maybe it's your boss. I've had a couple bosses like that where it's kind of like, Every time you just you do something really nice, it's like they don't even notice, right? Maybe it's a parent, or maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member. No matter how hard you try, it seems like there's always one thing they can point out. Say, well, you still didn't do this. Like, well, come on. I think sometimes we run away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit because we feel like it's the exact same thing. We're afraid that the Holy Spirit is just there to convict us, to nitpick, to just point out everything that we've done wrong. But here's the difference. The Holy Spirit convicts and does not condemn. What's the difference? Well, the reason why we hate it when our boss, teachers, parents, family members, friends criticize every little thing, it's because we're afraid what they're saying is you're worthless. And no matter how hard you try, you will always be worthless at the end of the day. That's what we're thinking deep down inside. It's like no matter how hard I try to be nice to my friends, they're never going to accept me for who I am. No matter how, how many times I say I'm sorry to that person, they'll never forgive me because they believe deep down inside I'm just a liar. But the difference is there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The only times that the Holy Spirit convicts you. And the only reason why he convicts you is so that you can be made more like him because he believes in the power that he's giving you. It's not because we're like awesome, but if he convicts us, he's going to supply the power to change, real change. Here's the proof. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. 
My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, in other words, the discipline of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him, for whom the Lord loves he chastens and scourges every son he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons, for what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Many of you know that I love rock climbing, and I've had a rock climbing coach before that I kind of did over the internet and whatever, but it doesn't have to be rock climbing. It could be any type of coach. When you have a coach, you kind of expect them to point out things you're doing wrong. Wouldn't you? There was, um, there's a guy who trains the national champion for bouldering and rock climbing, and I was paying him a bunch of money so that he could train me over Skype. And if all he did, every time I was working out, I was supposed to send some videos to him and whatever. If all he did was like, great job, just keep on doing it, man. Everything you're doing is perfect, just keep on going. It's like, I could have paid anybody to say that. Why do I have to pay you? You kind of want to know the things you're doing wrong so that you can improve and you can change. And a coach's goal in training anyone on the team is so that you can grow. And if he didn't think you could grow, he wouldn't keep you on the team. In the same way, if the Holy Spirit convicts, it means it supplies power to change. I'll prove it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know when the Bible says, count it all joy when you endure various trials and the testing of your faith produces patience? Y'all know that verse? Here's the thing. Most of us, we think about trials in terms of like suffering, in terms of I lost my job, I got an F on the test. That's how we think of trials. But we don't think about it in terms of temptation. And actually that word in the Greek, it's talking about not just tribulations that happen to us, but temptations that come from within us. Now if you took that literally, then the verse becomes Oh, how happy is the man when he is tempted. Nobody says that. Oh, man, I was just, you know, I was struggling because I went to the beach and, like, you know, there are a lot of people around. But I'm happy I was tempted. Like, why would we? That's weird. If any of you said that, I'd probably smack you. Like, spiritually, not, like, physically. Who would say that? But here's what he's saying. Anytime, whether you're tempted or you're in a trial, it's because God is using it to hone you as a man or woman of God. And that should blow our minds, completely shatter everything. This is why. Because most of us, when we're tempted, we're defeated automatically. Because we're like, oh, I still am struggling with these things. That must mean that I'm going to fail. And instead, what the Bible proves is if you are tempted, God is using that trial so that he, you could be made more into the image of Christ. And you won't be given a temptation that you will not be able to bear because he supplies the power so that you can endure it. That's how you can be happy. It's not because you're tempted by certain things. It's not because you have lust in your heart, anything like that. It's because here is an opportunity for me to resist the temptation and draw closer to God. If you're tempted, it's because God wants to fortify your heart. He wants to use you in ministry. And I'm not just talking about lust. I could be talking about like you're tempted to not hang out with Christian friends. You're tempted to hang out with people you shouldn't hang out with. And that should be an immediate indicator 
that God has something in store with those Christian friends you don't want to hang out with. Anytime that you're waking up, you're like, I really don't want to read the Bible. It could be an indicator that God wants you to be digging in the word and ask, will he seek me even when he doesn't feel like it? Will she pursue me even when it's not popular? And the Holy Spirit, his job, even right now, while you're sitting in your seat, is to remind us of what's really important. So he guides our hearts, our minds, and our wills. We'll just go through this really briefly, but really quick. He guides our hearts. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So we've known, if you've been human, that our hearts are always prone to wander. One day, you're so stoked on life. Everything is amazing. You're so passionate about everything that you're doing. You want to learn guitar. You want to go out and serve in the church. And the next day, you're depressed. Why does that happen? Well, let me encourage you with this. That actually happened to one of the greatest men in the Bible. His name was Elijah. Don't believe me. Read 1 Kings chapter 18 and then 1 Kings chapter 19. 18, huge battle, Mount Carmel. Yeah, I'm going to call down fire from heaven because God's awesome. Bam. And then Jezebel's like, I want to kill him. And Elijah's like, I just want to die. That's it. I'm going to run away in a cave. I want to talk to anybody and I want to die. That's what happened to Elijah. And our hearts are prone to wander. It's completely normal to one day be super stoked and the next day be depressed. Anger. Moses, didn't he have an anger problem? When he told the people of Israel, must I strike this rock? David, didn't he have a lust problem when he sinned with Bathsheba? The same man who wrote the Psalms. Same man who wrote Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I don't want anything. Don't you think some of his friends would be like, what a hypocrite. He said he wanted nothing, and yet he went after his own passions and his own desires. Here's the thing. We're all human. But we have something that they didn't have. And it's the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of our hearts and being with us to remind us of what is truly important. This is why he continues in John chapter 14, verse 25 through 27. If you want to just look real quick, John chapter 14. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So you and I have a choice. We have the ability to say, I'm not going to stay depressed. I'm not going to stay angry. I'm not going to stay in this lust because I have the opportunity to rejoice in the Lord and allow his peace to overcome and fill my heart. But here's the key. Jesus said the Holy Spirit will remind you of the words I've spoken to you, but you got to know what he said first. got to be in the word. The Holy Spirit can't remind you of verses in the Bible that you haven't read. We have to be in the word so that when those things happen and when you are down, you can remember verses like in the multitudes of anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. You can remember all those verses. God can remind you that you can always cast your burden upon him 
and he will sustain you and not, not allow the righteous to be moved. And that's the hardest thing. It's when you're depressed, when you're anxious, when you're going through a hard time, all we can focus on is the trial. And that's why the peace God gives us is not a piece of distraction. It's not a piece of subtraction. The world gives this kind of peace. If I have everything that's difficult out of my life, I go on vacation, I go on break, I go on a retreat, I'm away from my parents, I'm sleeping over a friend's house. As long as I'm, a, I'm away from my problems, I will have peace. But that's not peace at all. What that is is it's saying that in order for you to be peaceful, you literally have to have all sin removed from your life. But the peace God gives is not like the peace that the world gives because it's a peace that surpasses all understanding and fills your hearts. It's this. It's when the disciples are on the boat with Jesus and the, the disciples are like in the storm and stuff. You know the story. And they're like, Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. He's sleeping. Really, the God of the universe is sleeping on the boat right now and we're about to die. That's how it's going to end. Once upon a time, Jesus was going to go die on the cross and save the world and instead he died on the boat. To be continued. But Jesus, awaking from his sleep, said, peace, be still. And it was still. That was it. You ever have a time in your life where you've been so freaked out about something, only to find out it really wasn't that big of a deal? I may have shared the story before, but forgive me. It's a great story. So, I was locking up the teen center. I was locking up the other building. And I drove over to the other building to make sure everything was locked. And there was a car parked there. It was a big truck. And I was like, what is that truck doing there? And it, this happened last week. And there were some people in the car. And, and I, like, I felt pretty bold. I went up to him. I was like, you guys can't be here. Got to roll away or I'll call the police. Like, I felt really cool. Like, I had the power. Like, oh, I'm sorry. And they ran away, like, scared. Like, yeah, I'm scary. <laughs> but that time, I was, not, I was not scary. I was very afraid. So I... I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, well, I can go confront them, but what if they have a gun? And if I go up to them and they have a gun, that'd be really scary. And they might kill me and then I'll be dead. They won't find me until tomorrow morning. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'll get Brian Higgins. I'll, I'll have him come with me. <laughs> and so I'm driving by and just like bring Brian. I was like, Brian, you got to come with me because there's like a car in the parking lot. He's like, okay, man, let's go. So he gets in the car. And as we're pulling up, I'm thinking like, I should probably get the passenger side first so that, like, if they point the gun, they shoot Brian and not me. So, <laughs> true story. And so we pull up this truck. I'm ready. I'm like, been prayed up. My heart's beating really fast. Roll down the window. It's Kenny Jastrzemski's mom. <laughs> With Nick Hall's mom. And I, they're like, hi. I was like, hello. <laughs> How's it going? So you got, you're probably just waiting for Kenny, aren't you? Like, yeah, did you think we were some strangers? No, no, no. Uh, well, good to see everything's fine. And we drove back and we just laughed and said, couldn't, we couldn't tell anybody this ever. But um, as long as you believe that Brian was more afraid than I am, I'm happy with that. <laughs> the point of the story is so many things that we are, are afraid of are really nothing. It's a smokescreen, especially compared to the power that is in the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, is living inside of your heart. If we just knew 
that we have God on the boat, are we going to be afraid of sinking? But so many people are facing the circumstance and not facing their Savior. And that's what we as Christians have to do, is remember who we're with, that the Holy Spirit is with us, and that guides our hearts. The Holy Spirit, by the way, in case you didn't know, it also um, helps you to pray, because the Bible says in, where is it? I lost my notes. Here we go. I'll get back to that in a second. So the Holy Spirit says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit make, makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So we know that the Holy Spirit not only guides our hearts, but also helps us to pray when we don't even know what to pray. It's almost like autocorrect for your prayers. Like you're just praying something stupid, and God's like, yeah, I don't really know about that, but let me fix that for you. But have you ever been so burdened with something that you're just offering it to the Lord, and you don't even know what to say? And God still hears our prayers. That's encouraging for us. A.W. Tozer once said this, The work of the Holy Spirit is, among other things, to rescue the redeemed man's emotions, to restring his harp, and to open again the wells of sacred joy that have been stopped up by sin. The Holy Spirit also guides our minds. Guides our minds. The Bible says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5. How many of us, kind of like where our mind is at rest, is not on the things of God? It's full of lust, envy, greed. And I think the way that you figure that out is asking yourself, what is it that I desire most in life right now? And by asking that question, it helps you figure out, am I seeking God's kingdom or seeking my own kingdom? But our minds can be guided by the Lord when we're in the word of God, and he shows us what we should be thinking upon, the good things of the Lord. He also guides our will. Romans chapter 8, verse 12 through 14 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. In the Bible, there's been all kinds of situations where people have been led by the Spirit. At one point, Paul is talking about where he's going to be dragged off to Rome. And he says, I'm bound by the Spirit. I have to go. Even though I'm, I know I'm going to die there, I have to go. The Spirit said to Philip in Acts chapter 8, to go and overtake a chariot to evangelize to an Ethiopian eunuch. And a lot of times what happens is, we don't evangelize, we don't speak about Jesus because we're waiting for the perfect opportunity. But here's the thing about perfect opportunities. It never comes. You know when the perfect opportunity is? When the Holy Spirit tells you to go. He's not going to lead you into a dark place. He's not going to lead you to, to a desert where there won't be any people. He's always leading you into all truth, the right direction. So maybe this week, you're going to sense the Holy Spirit putting some person on your heart. Don't neglect that. If the Holy Spirit puts someone on your mind to pray for them, if he tells you to reach out to someone, text that person, to share Jesus with somebody else, don't neglect it because the Holy Spirit will never lead you astray, even in unfavorable circumstances. 
Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in closing, let me ask you this. Everyone look up here. Are you willing to get uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? Because a lot of us, we want to live life safe And the reason why you've never really truly experienced the peace and joy of God is because you haven't put yourself in a situation where you need him. So this fall, my hope, my desire, my my prayer, really, like this is, I'm thinking about you guys. I'm thinking about where we are as a youth group. There's a couple of things I'm thinking about. This past Tuesday, the leadership got together. We were praying for you guys, praying about what we should do for the fall. We have an outreach lined up that we're thinking about, inviting a whole bunch of people that don't know Jesus to come to know him, be transformed by his power. We're super excited about that. But we need you guys to be involved. We need you to buy in. And going into the fall, you're immediately going to get busy. That's what happens every year. You start school. You start getting stressed. You're too busy. You need to get a job. You get focused on all these other things. But I just want you to do this. Everyone look up here. Don't ask yourself, what should I do? Ask yourself, what does God think I should do? Different question. Because a lot of times we think I should get a job. I, I should, you know, take this SAT on this day or whatever. That's all perfect. That's fine. That's great. But who's God in our life? Who's going to guide us into all truth? And that means you're involved, like together. This is a family. So a lot of times what happens is, especially Calvary Christian school, private school, you think about, like, do I have to go to youth group because, like, I get the Bible all throughout the week and stuff? And so you think, why should I come to youth group? I already get the Bible. I don't want you to think in terms of coming to youth group. In fact, I don't want anyone to come to youth group. I want you to be a part of youth group. Difference. A part of youth group. What does that mean? Our youth group is not Friday nights at 730 from 7.30 to 10.30. That's not youth group. We are a youth ministry, and our job as youth leaders is to make sure that you have the best shot of making it through this life, take your full potential that God has given you to make an impact for his namesake, to worship God to your fullest potential, to not get distracted by the things of this world. And that's why we meet on a, on a, a weekly basis on Friday night, which is a huge night. A lot of things you could be doing on Friday night. But we say it's so important that we get this right, that we're going to get together every single week, no matter who comes. And then throughout the week, it's not like you just meet. Like imagine the disciples, which is like, all right, I'm one of the 12, and I'll see you next week. And we'll have our weekly Bible study and see what happens. We need to be a family, knitted together, that we're vulnerable with one another. We're confessing our sins to one another. We have struggles. We're accountable throughout the week. At school, yes, at Christian school, you don't know any Christian, uh, any unsaved people. You're you're going out evangelizing. We're giving you opportunities for that. We have mission trips. We have all kinds of activities, all kinds of programs. But the whole purpose is so that you would encounter Jesus, and that you could impact the world through His power. So ask yourself, and this is really, I'm closing. I really am. This is it. Dear Jesus, how can I step out of my comfort zone 
and into your calling? How can I just get, like, stop thinking about my own comfortability? How can I stop being so selfish? Stop thinking about what I want to do. How can I think about other people and think about your kingdom? How can I stop thinking in terms of like, well, I, I'm going to evangelize, but they might not like me, and they might reject me, and they might say mean things. How can I get out of that? Because I know that even if they do, even if people hate me, even if they persecute me, didn't they do that to the early church, and wasn't Jesus still there? Even if you lose all your friends, won't you have a comforter in the Holy Spirit? Don't you have a family that lasts for eternity? And don't you have a love and a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus? And if you have not experienced that tonight, I pray that you do. Let's bow our heads and pray.